0: All right, fellas. Whenever you got into movie collecting, VHS or DVD, you know, John's a little younger. He may not have picked up any VHS. What were some of the first titles that you had to add to your library?
1: Well, you are right, Mark. I did not have a vhs tapes i did when i was growing up and my parents bought them but i didn't buy any of my own so the very first dvd that i ever bought for myself was the 25th anniversary edition of the exorcist
0: surprise surprise
1: yeah right i didn't actually buy it for (laughs) myself because i was still too young i managed to get my grandmother to buy it for me because she didn't know what it was uh she just thought it was a movie oh, wow. so she totally bought that and then i sort of kept it hidden in my room but i uh, had to be like 98 or 99 when i bought it uh how did your grandma not know what the
0: exorcist was though uh she's yeah, not i was gonna say john was she exclusive a uh, radio golden age of radio listener like she avoided television altogether
1: uh, she's not from America. She was born in uh, oh. Italy and didn't even move here till the 70s, probably after The Exorcist even came out. So uh, I come to America. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so she had no idea what she was buying. Uh, in retrospect, I probably should feel bad about doing that, but I don't.
0: You totally duped your <laughs> grandmother, dude. Nice.
1: Yeah, I grew up all right, though, so, you know, I think it's fine.
0: That's cool. I really thought you would have said something like Star Trek.
1: You know, I don't. I didn't really buy Star Trek until I was much older. Uh, They were always so expensive growing up, uh, and they never, like, were on sale or anything that I could remember where they would be affordable. And also, like, back then, you didn't... used to be able to really buy series of television. You'd buy these tapes that had like three or four fucking episodes for like $50. It was just all around a real big ripoff.
0: Yeah, you're not wrong, dude. Yeah, I wonder when the whole season thing started. Maybe were they releasing full seasons of stuff on VHS, or did that start with the uh, DVD format?
2: It was X-Files was the first time I really saw it majorly happen, and they would release uh, three episodes. It would be um, one episode of X-Files per tape. Or no, no, it was... Two episodes of X-Files per tape, and it would be two tapes in the uh, the box set, and then you'd buy however many it took to complete the season. Good God. That must have been a massive space cons- cons- consumer
0: on your wall, man. That would be like-
2: <laughs> Oh, it was so huge, but the, uh, the box art was really good for those. I remember that much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know speaking of expensive vhs and dvd stuff like the star trek man was it like kind of how disney did there it's gonna go away in the vault soon and you can't get it for like the next decade until the next format comes out because those disney ones on vhs in particular i remember being
2: very expensive because on january 31st these hits are going back into the disney vault get them before they're gone VHS in general was very expensive for quite a while.
1: Yeah, those were crazy. They'd be like $80 in like 1991 money. It's like wild prices for things.
0: <laughs> How bad do you need to see the brave little toaster? You're going to pay out the nose. <laughs> you know, speaking of volumized VHS tapes, you just had random episodes on them. Some of the first things I started collecting was the Transformers animated series. Rhino was putting out volumes of that stuff and like you said it'd be like maybe two episodes per VHS at like twenty bucks a pop. Man, to complete a season, I'd have to have like two full-time jobs, you know, making minimum wage just to get my Decepticon battles on.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, man.
2: <laughs> yeah, that shit was not cheap.
0: Um other than those for me though, um the first ones that I got were had to have been Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, and Young Frankenstein and Spaceballs, man. Um, those were kind of the, the comedies that kind of shaped how, um, you know, stuff I would thought was funny coming out of like the three stooges and stuff. I watched a lot of that, uh, black and white stuff with my grandparents. So when young Frankenstein came along, uh, it just, it just completely clicked with me. And then I guess my first DVDs would have been like Monty Python's Holy Grail, Guy Ritchie's snatch. Um, I, I specifically remember those two cause I bought them at a discount when I was working at Hollywood video for three months before I quit that shitty job. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. For me, I would have to say, I see, I don't remember like, I didn't ever, I never collected like, you know, movies and stuff like that, but there was a few that, um, I remember getting pretty early on. Um, I know our neighbors had HBO and Cinemax back when cable was an insane luxury, um, that people like, kind of like use as a status symbol. Um, I know that they used to record movies off HBO onto tapes for us. And then we'd get to watch them off that. And I remember one of those tapes that the earliest tape I can remember was it had Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Flight of the Navigator, and this is Spinal Tap. And then at the end of it was like a piece of like my mom's first marriage, like they had been taped over. <laughs> so um, nice. that was that was the first real VHS tape that I think I like really like coveted and watched a, a, like a ton but i think the first one that i ever like owned was uh my mom i think bought me yeah it was for christmas like bought me a weird owls like video collection like all his videos on one vhs tape that you could only get like calling like 1-800 blah 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 you know limited time offer you know shipping and handling and all that stuff um i got one of those for christmas so i'd say like those are the first two tapes i like ever really had
0: my, my library growing up was definitely a wall-to-wall uh, recorded stuff off of television or dubbed from, uh, you know, a neighbor's VHS tape, um, the one that I have the most memories of. I had a, a VHS that had Ghostbusters, John Carpenter's Starman, followed up with Empire Strike Back, you know, really just a real... Cohesive tape. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> it's a great uh, Sunday afternoon. <laughs>
0: for sure. But I always had to fast forward over Starman. I did not like that movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? You didn't like Starman?
0: <laughs> nah. It wasn't the Carpenter movie I was looking for when I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into today's film, unless you guys have anything else on old, outdated formats.
2: No, other than the fact that I'm glad that that big, white, puffy VHS cassette, like, Enclosure that Disney did is like gone the wayside. Oh, those were so annoying.
0: They did not fit on the shelf at all. Oh, those were huge. They always stuck out. They were
2: unwieldy. They, I, well,
1: or if you're going to pay, be forced to pay $80 or whatever for a movie, maybe they wanted to be a little fancier than a cardboard sleeve. <laughs> Possibly.
2: Yeah, it's got
0: to stand out, man. You paid that money for Lady and the Tramp. Let everybody else know about it.
1: If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes, or cutaway coat perfect fit.
0: Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk Podcast. My name is Mark, again joined with Garrett and John, fellas. How we doing on this day in our quarantine lifestyle and what have you been up to? What have you been watching? Anything you want to talk about before we get going on the episode?
1: Oh, you know, hanging in there. Kind of uh, kind of going stir crazy, you know, but lots of time to watch movies. So I've been doing that uh, quite a bit, actually. And what have you been watching, John?
0: I know what he's watching. I got his list right here. What's Corpse Mania about, John?
1: Whew Oh, Corpse Mania, what a film. Y'all would actually probably like that movie a lot. It's like a 80s Hong Kong uh, flashery-filic. It's about this, how do you even describe this wild movie? It is about this serial killer who then uh, has sex with the people that he kills. Uh, so you get some really before or after uh, after. So definitely necrophilia. Ew. Yeah, you get some really weird scenes there of he. There's no like actual sex, but lots of you know innuendo so you have to deal with that um, some pretty decent 80s special effects though you you sound disappointed John no I am not I was actually very worried uh, my wife randomly picked this movie up at the dollar store she uh, does that sometimes and uh, so I was like all right let's watch it and it was a journey wait
0: they, they were selling corpse mania at the, like the Dollar General
1: yes for one dollar <laughs>
0: Buy that for a dollar. No. <laughs> uh, also see, John, that you watched the uh, 2008 classic, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Y-
1: yes, I sure did. <laughs> that was a tough watch, man. I'd never seen it before. You know, I've, I went and watched the original one earlier this year. Uh, that was like enjoyable. I was like, oh, sweet. This is a pretty good movie. Uh, the 2008 one is not, and it is nothing at all like the original one. It's one of those remakes where it's like, why didn't you just make your own movie? Why did you bother to claim this was a remake when you deviated so far from the source material? It makes no sense at all. So I was not a fan of that movie in the least. Do you feel like they
2: made those changes to like try to make it their own thing just so they like we're not doing an exact copy? Or do you think it was like... A different script that they kind of shoehorned in the day the Earth is Still,
1: I think they were like, "Oh, the day the the 1951 is way too slow and not actiony enough for modern audiences, so we need to make everything bigger and fancier and amazing, uh, and action-packed uh, special effects, you know, all of that." And they worked from that point of view where they were like, "Oh." no one's going to watch this 1950s one because it's too boring. How do we make it bigger? And worked backwards from there, and that's was probably the source of all of their problems.
0: Yeah, everything's got to be big, big, big.
1: New Gort was cool, but... Uh, yeah, New Gort was cool, but other than that, it was just so overwhelming and boring. I was like, come on, Keanu.
0: Now, was Gort like some sort of nano machine thing in this remake?
1: Yeah, Gort was a... Na- uh, he had like the ability to make nano machines i guess which then were the whole goal was to consume everything on earth which led to all the cool scenes in the trailer but so d- different from the original goal of everything uh but it's cool visual uh but yeah and keanu reeves was uh the alien whose name i can't remember now phil Klaatu, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> and he just played Keanu Reeves. I mean, it was like, oh, hey, it's Neo. Uh,
0: John Wick for our younger audience.
1: Yes, also John Wick. Uh,
0: the uh, So have you seen the original recently, John? Did you watch that one also before you kicked on to the remake?
1: He just said that, Mark jeez yeah dude oh i'm sorry it's all good i watched it pre-quarantine so it must have been uh in the winter time so a couple months ago i mean it's been a while uh that was actually the first time i'd ever seen it Uh, i know i'm a bad sci-fi fan but uh that one holds up really well i very much enjoyed it yeah that's a pretty good movie i enjoy that movie
0: well cool deal garrett uh what have you been up to anything to to mention
2: yeah i uh watch some horror movies because we do a horror movie podcast Whoa. So I, uh, <laughs> I've been burning my way through some, uh, some series, some, uh, Hellraiser. Good God. I mean, <laughs> you guys know my thoughts on three, not a huge fan after that. It is just downhill at a pace that like would make fucking cool runnings. Take a second glance. I mean, it's, oh boy, it is terrible. Um, also burning through, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, that whole series, um, I'm actually enjoying some of the directions those go in. They're, they're terrible, but I'm digging those. Um, I'm doing this for the uh, the segment where I basically quickly burn through an entire franchise to give you an overall plot synopsis and my hot takes. Um, it's not going to be great. Some of these movies are shit beyond all belief. Um, I also watched A Quiet Place or The Quiet Place. Is it A Quiet Place or The Quiet
1: Place? Ooh, good question.
2: I think it's A okay we'll go with a quiet place um so i saw the trailer for part two and um it ruined the fact that john krasinski is dead which definitely goes to decreasing the enjoyment of the first movie um knowing that he's not going to make it definitely kind of takes some of the suspense out of it uh, but it was a really good movie i enjoyed it quite a bit and i also watched uh the babadook not a incredibly super scary movie but freaked me the fuck out not a fan
1: um oh, really? I didn't even finish that one. Uh, for some reason, it could not grab me. I should give it a second go. I know a lot of people love it, but I did not get into The Babadook.
2: The movie itself, um, I wouldn't say is like earth shattering. You're not going to be like, wow, I've got to recommend this to someone. But they did a lot of things right with the visuals and a lot of the, um, the creep factor, anticipation, things like that, that really worked for me in horror movies. So I enjoyed it from that aspect quite a bit. Like, I thought visually pacing, it was exceptionally slow at times. It did pick up, though. Um, I would say give it another run through because I'd be interested to hear your take. But
0: I'm going to say, Garrett, I agree with you, your take there on the the Boba the Duke. I, I like the atmosphere, I like the uh, anticipation and some of, some of the sp- suspense, but it, it does fall flat in terms of actual horrorness, if you will. But I thought the acting, for the most part, was pretty good. Um, That kid, though, I just remember being so annoyed by the kid.
2: I think that's just kid actors sometimes. I mean, like, I I definitely know there's certain movies with kid actors. Like, okay, you guys have heard my take on this, but I fucking hate Newt in Aliens. Like, she ruins that movie for me. If you could remove Newt from that movie, do a Newtless like, edit of that movie, I would love that film. I cannot stand her and nothing against her as an actress but like that character fucking pisses me off so i can see how people like kid actors and stuff like that can definitely affect how you see a movie um i don't think the kid was bad but i i can see what you're saying The the kids mannerisms and stuff definitely were not like my favorite part of that film
0: yeah and, and perhaps it's just because that uh, they were definitely trying to make him appear to be just you know an, an annoying little kid Um, So that could have been the choice taken and I was just like not having it that day. But you're right, John, like people, I think this movie even shows up in people's like top 25 horror movies of all time. And I'm just like, how? It's not that great. It's okay.
1: Yeah. And I think that might be even why I didn't finish it because I went in with my expectations so high because whenever people talk about this movie, yeah, they're just like, oh my God, it's so amazing and so scary and... That happens a lot. Like people still, I mean, Paranormal Activity is a great
2: example of that. People are like, Paranormal Activity is one of the scariest movies ever. And I find that movie to be one of the most boring things put on film. But we've talked about that before.
0: Yeah, it happens. Um, I recently rewatched Fright Night, which is a, uh, you know, if you haven't seen this, that 1984, 85 classic vampire movie starring Roddy McDowell from Planet of the Apes. And it's all about a vampire who moves in next door to this high school kid. And he sees from his bedroom window him taking a victim. And he decides he's going to alert everybody in the town, but nobody believes him. And the vampire's like, you done fucked up, kid? Now I'm going to get you and your your, uh, your friends. <laughs> um, movie still holds up pretty well, but there's something that I just... I think you know much in in the way that we got burned out on zombie films i'm just sick to death of the classic transylvanian and then they you know the vampires hiss and it's just like oh come on aren't we i know this movie i'm not holding it against this movie but just in general like i'm i'm so over that classic vampire uh feel um to the point where i'm just kind of like Eye rolling anytime they have those classic, you know, Christopher Lee, Dracula style qualities to them.
1: That's so funny. I was going to say the exact opposite. The how I, after watching Young Frankenstein, how I kind of missed that era of creepy, you know, Transylvania, gothic horror with the lightning. And I was like, man, I could use more of that. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm not, I'm not asking for Twilight or anything. That's the wrong direction to take a vampire. Um, but I think... Says you. <laughs> says me, indeed. Um, now, you guys know I like Castlevania, and I'm not just bringing it up, but um, the portrayal of that Dracula is so fascinating to me, and I think it's one of the best portrayals that they've done in a long time. Um, I'm so happy that that show's doing well, that it even got greenlit for season four, which is kind of a rarity for Netflix programs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to see more intre- interesting takes on Dracula, and, and I really need to watch that Netflix Dracula show that came out. I just haven't got around to it yet.
2: Well, it sounds like we know what you're supposed to do before next episode.
0: <laughs> Binge 13 episodes. Go. Um, but yeah, John, I, I'm not saying that I don't like the, the monster portrayal in this film. It's just that along with zombies, I think I'm just really over... You know, I've seen that version of, of a vampire for so many years now. I'm just looking for something a little more original, I guess.
1: All right. That's fair. I could totally understand that because, uh, yeah, it is kind of a played cliche, but, man, it kind of is one that that uh, resonates with me. I even like that shitty, was it 2004 Van Haling movie? Helsing, Van Halen, Van Helsing movie uh, with uh, Aragon. I was like, sweet, you know what? I dig this. I just like that whole uh, style of film.
2: Count David Lee Roth is Van Halen. Wait, are you talking about. Oh, oh,
0: oh, oh. uh, Okay, I was about to get very upset with you. I thought you were talking about the Hugh Jackman Van Helsing movie from like 2000. That's one of the worst movies I've ever seen.
2: You're talking
1: about the same movie. Hey, are we talking about the same movie?
0: Are we? We're talking about Hugh Jackman Wolverine. That's what you're talking about, John?
1: Oh, okay. No. Yeah, I'm talking about Van Helsing. The, I think it's with Aragon, is it not? What the fuck's his name? I can't even remember his real name. Does it also have the underworld lady, Kate uh, whatever?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, that's it. Oh, God. John, that movie is trash. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. Yeah, I love that movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> Oh, it's so bad. But I still like it. What can I say? I have a soft spot for it. You also like the mummy movies, so I can see
2: that. That's actually along the same like lines of kind of like just absurd Hollywood to where they're just like, ah, fuck it, people will watch it. I feel like that's in the same ballpark there.
1: I am people. (laughs) I am people. I will watch it. (laughs) I'm the target audience for
2: that trash. Well, you guys know I I really don't care for vampires at all. Like there's nothing about vampires that really do much for me other than what we do in the shadows, the movie, and uh the TV show, which I just recently binged, which is amazing. But I gotta side with John on this. I feel like the classic, like, blah, kind of vampire is the most intriguing vampire. Like, I think a fresh take on vampires is can be can be interesting, but I think loses a lot of the what makes the vampires vampires, honestly. But I mean that's just that's my opinion. I, I, But I'm on Team John on this right. one. It's okay to be wrong. I get it. Says, says the guy who backs Godzilla still.
1: Oh, <laughs> man. I was just thinking that. Yeah, makes sense.
0: Hey,
2: hey,
0: look. I, I'm not always right, but I am. Okay, <laughs> um, John, you're going to be interested to know that the fellow who directed Van Helsing also directed The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. Get
1: out of here. Uh,
0: Steven Summers
2: well 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 it all makes sense now you know at least We're i'm coming around full circle
1: at least i'm consistent in what i like i guess bad <laughs> steven Sommers movies
0: his most recent film uh that he has directorial credit for is one called odd thomas did anybody see that one no no
1: but i'm gonna go find it now i bet i'll like it <laughs> apparently
0: it's based on a dean Koontz book but uh all right, well, if that's that, let's go ahead and get into today's movie. We're going to be talking about Mel Brooks's classic from 1974, Young Frankenstein, uh, which came out right after Blazing Saddles. This one is, like I said, was one of the first films that I had picked up on VHS tape. Um, there's just something so classic about it, and, and, you know, more so than just it taking homage and really painstakingly, I would say, crafting one of the classic Universal monster movie feels The writing is smart. The jokes are excellent. And I can never, you know, say no to Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder's performance in this is incredible. And he's been one of my favorite actors since I was a kid. You know, going back to watching Willy Wonka on the Chocolate Factory when my parents would drop me off at, uh, you know, uh, a daycare while they would go on date night. You know, I experienced so many movies that way at that place, Willy Wonka being one of them. I was just mesmerized by his performances. And I always am when he's on screen
2: this movie is a Gene Wilder idea. Like uh, when he got cast on Blazing Saddles, he like talked to Mel Brooks and this is all according to the trivia I could find. But like he was like, hey, your next movie needs to be this movie idea I have. And it was Young Frankenstein.
0: That's yeah, I think I read that too. And to the point where uh, Mel Brooks was kind of Dismissive of the idea until he really kind of dug in. I was like, well, no I want to do an idea where it's a Frankenstein descendant But he really wants nothing to do with his grandfather's research and that was like, oh, that's actually a good idea But yeah, man, um, what what is your guys experience with this film? When did you watch it for the first time?
1: I watched it for the first time about three months ago Really (laughs) seriously? Yeah. I don't know how I missed this one because I've watched so many other uh, Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks films. But this one, for some reason, never got around to it.
2: He was too busy watching Van Helsing. <laughs> exactly.
1: How <laughs> to watch The Mummy for the fifth time. I don't have time for Young Frankenstein. Oh, boy. And now I've watched it twice in 90 days. And, yeah, it's awesome. I watched for the first time the 1931 Frankenstein last night uh, just to see how close it was. And it's amazing. I mean, they are like beat for beat you know and thematically they're just so similar to what they were parodying I was uh, like whoa
0: yeah John they even go so far to, to get some of the same props from the movie uh, 1931 if you see a lot of that stuff inside of the labor- lab- the laboratory um, <laughs> a lot of those items were lifted straight from that 1931 film um as it's, it just in speaking of the classic Universal Monster movies, man, Frankenstein is a top tier candidate for sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that's got to be one of my favorite ones. And what it, does it still hold up for you just rewatching it yesterday?
1: Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, the Frankenstein figure was less sympathetic than I remembered him being Uh it, when I rewatched it. But overall, I was like, hey, this is, you know, especially for a movie from 1931, this was really enjoyable.
0: Boris Karloff, dude, nailed it as the monster. Most definitely.
1: Yeah.
2: Well,
0: what about you, Garrett? When did you see this one? Is this a regular growing up?
1: I saw
2: this one when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, Like I said, you know, one of my earlier tapes was Spinal Tap. And um, like, after seeing that, that really kind of you know, that I mean, we all suffer from liking shitty movies when we were kids. But um, that really kind of shaped the the kind of uh, comedy and humor that I'm really attracted to the most. And talking to my uncle, you know, he was like, Oh, you should watch, you know, these Mel Brooks movies. And I was like, I don't know who that is. And I think he played, I want to say he played Blazing Saddles first. And then we watched this. And then I think we eventually got to like, history of the world but um yeah no i was i was exposed to this movie way early and it it definitely stuck with me it was it was hilarious i had never seen the original though at that point i mean i think i saw the original frankenstein i want to say like early teenage years you know cuz i didn't really watch a lot of horror i did not was not attracted to it cuz i freaked me the fuck out still but um i was like oh frankenstein's a safe bet i can get through this without being scared um so Yeah, it's it's amazing how well they did with this and really the the humor that is just so subtle throughout this entire film from start to finish. Like the opening scene when the the clocks chiming, when like the bells chiming through the like, you know, the background, it chimes 13 times. Like, I don't know if you guys catch that, but it chimes 13 times and immediately out the gate. You're like, well, what the fuck? Like, this is absurdity. It was, it's just so good. Both of them are so fantastic, and I think Peter Boyle. Yeah, he he did such a fantastic job too. I, I love this film, but I have a small confession for you guys. I have not seen this movie in quite a while because it is not streaming anywhere, and you cannot buy it on iTunes. So. I did not watch Young Frankenstein before we ah. recorded this episode, so I'm going from memory. But to make sure you guys did know that I was putting in the work, I did watch Young Einstein oh, oh, with oh. Yahoo! Sirius to try to like balance the scales a little bit, so hopefully that will... That'll give me a little bit of a pass today. I
0: remember Young Einstein being very stupid. How is it in 2020?
2: Oh, it's God awful, boy. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it is absolutely terrible, but it'll always have that special place in my heart of like one of those movies you watched growing up that you would just watch all the time. You're like, yeah, <laughs> this is shit, but I still enjoy it.
0: Well, okay. Well, th- at least thank you for being truthful as we tackle Young Frankenstein. Now, if you get confused, audience, we'll have Garrett clarify if he's, he's mentioning a scene from Young Einstein. Um,
2: <laughs> It'll be pretty obvious.
0: <laughs> so as far as Mel Brooks films go, um, where does this one fall in his pantheon of films for you guys? Is this your favorite? Is there one that edges it out? What do you what do you think?
1: History of the World is my favorite by a long shot. I love that movie so much. Um, what I like about this one though, is it's so much more subtle, I think, than a lot of the most Mel Brooks films, at least that I've seen, right? The ones that I've seen play up their comedy and their parody to like 11, whereas this one could almost, it's like towing the line, right? It could almost really be like a Frankenstein movie. So, I respect that it's such a a subtle parody, but I don't think it's my favorite. I'd probably put it, like, I don't know, near the... Well, I guess it depends on what I'm ranking it for. But for comedy, probably near the bottom, honestly. Really? This one towards the bottom? Yeah, I'd have to go look at all Mel Brooks films, right? I can only really remember, like, you know, the major ones, the producers, and uh, Spaceballs, History of the World, this one, and... uh, uh, shit, you just said it, Mark. The Western, <laughs> Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles, yeah. Oh, Blazing Saddles is really good too. It's either that or History of the World is my favorite, but for comedy,
0: I I'm gonna have to say Spaceballs is my favorite one, and that was just because of when I was exposed to that one in particular. You know, it's it's parodying of Star Wars, and just every joke in there I just find so funny. Um, it also. I, and then maybe maybe you guys disagree with me on this but young Frankenstein and blazing saddles for me starts to dip in the last say 20 minutes of the film I just feel like blazing saddles and young young Frankenstein just I I get disinterested towards the end because they feel so good up front that maybe just the back end just didn't have enough zingers for me or something. I'm not sure, but like Blazing Saddles in particular, when they end up in the theater and watch their own movie and they're dry... like running around in the in the studio lot, I'm just like, okay, you kind of lost me on this. I mean, I get what you're doing, but I'm not that interested anymore at this point. Really? Huh.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, like, for this movie, everything after the putting on the Ritz or even that scene itself, I'm like, mm, all right, we probably could have ended by now. Or, like, the whole transfusion uh, spoilers for fucking Young Frankenstein. Like, all of that I was, like, not uh, super into. So I would agree with you that Mar- there, Mark. Wow, that's really interesting. I mean, Mark, I kind
2: of figured you were going to put Spaceballs at the top, just knowing you well enough to know that, like, I feel like that was going to be an easy easy choice for you. Um, I really dislike Spaceballs. Like, I enjoy, like, I, I can watch it, but I have never... Like sat down like I'm going to watch Spaceballs. I will only ever watch it if it's on. Um, but I would have to say mine definitely start with Blazing Saddles. Um, I want to say probably High Anxiety is my second one, then Young Frankenstein, and then we kind of get into History of the World, Spaceballs. You know, Robin Hood Men and Tights. Those all kind of blend together at the very end of the list.
1: Oh, I forgot about Robin Hood, Men in Tights. I would definitely put Young Frankenstein above Robin Hood, Men in Tights, I'll tell you that. Well,
2: he also did Dracula Dead and Loving It with Leslie Nielsen, remember that one, which was a spoof on the Dracula movies? Like Mel Brooks did like a, another type of movie.
1: No, I don't think I've seen that one.
0: I got a soft spot for that one. It's it, I love it because I love Leslie Nielsen. I just love his deadpan, corny joke humor, man. That stuff is so funny to me. Um, it's not a great movie. It's, it's decent though. And they've got some pretty good gags in it.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, I, I hold it very similar to Robin Hood Men in Tights where like, there's things I remember like laughing at quite a bit in those movies, but. I can't remember much else about them being good.
0: Well, it's got Janosch is is Renfield from Ghostbusters 2. Janosch.
2: It's Vigo! You're like the buzzing of flies to him.
0: Yeah, that's true. It's a great performance by that dude as the, the underling to Dracula. All right,
1: I'll have to add that to my list then, Mark.
0: Yeah, it's decent. Um, okay. Well, this one is sitting at Rotten Tomatoes. You guys think it's rated highly or lowly? What do you think? Think everybody hates this movie? No, it's. A, I'm <laughs> gonna say
2: eighty. 86%.
0: 94% with the critics, 92% with the audience.
1: Oh, fuck yeah. Wow. Look how tight that is, too, man. So little deviation. That's awesome. Yeah,
0: it's up there. Uh, film was uh made on a 2.78 million dollar budget and made 86.2 million dollars in the box office, so it was a definite success. Wow. This film also was kind of I think Gene Wilder's first kind of big hit movie, um even though Willy Wonka came out Prior to this, that one didn't do so well, and it wasn't until later on that it kind of became the cult classic that it's known as now.
1: That blows my mind. Uh, That movie is awesome. What? Will They Walk on the Chocolate Factory? Yeah, it was like a staple growing up for me, so I'm surprised to find out that it actually didn't do so hot when it originally came out. I I
2: feel like that was just a thing
1: that happened sometimes. Like, some of the early Jim Henson
2: movies, like Dark Crystal, people love the fuck out of that, but it didn't do well. It's just, I think some of these things... You know definitely grow with time you know i don't say age better because they were always great then but i think like the audience mindset especially when you see like a big deviation from what's like the norm in cinema some of that stuff gets overlooked until it like until something actually catches it you know true
0: yeah there's so many movies like that right even you know john carpenter's the thing didn't do well we you know we talked about that when we did that episode um it's just crazy to see how some of these movies turnaround in the public mind's eye after the fact. And also, there's just so many movies coming out. Maybe it got buried by something else, you know, that came out that same year. Yeah, that's a good point. It's just hard to say. So this one is starring Gene as Dr. Friedrich von Frankenstein. And uh, I don't know if if we want to set the stage up front, guys, are we going to call him Frankenstein or Frankenstein?
2: We should probably call him Frankenstein. think he's a Frankenstein. Oh, you think so? Look, if the man wants to be called Muhammad Ali, then you call the man Muhammad Ali, <laughs> okay? That's all I'm saying. That's a coming to. America reference for all my my, my deep cuts Uh, out there. love that
1: movie. That boy sure can sing.
0: (laughs) Okay, well let's just stick with Frankenstein to keep it clear. Um, Peter Boyle as the monster. Marty Feldman as Igor, or Igor. Madeline Kahn as Elizabeth. Cloris Leachman as Frau Blucher. Terry Garr as Inga. Kenneth Mars as Inspector Kemp. And that's probably, unless you guys think anybody else that needs to be mentioned, I think that's mainly our big hitters in the movie
2: um gene hackman plays the uh, the blind peasant at the end oh you're right he wanted to do that because he played tennis with uh gene wilder and he was like hey i want to try comedy and so like wilder got him in this movie
0: one of the best scenes in the film dude i love that part in particular i'm glad that they got gene hackman to do that that was really cool yeah
1: pleasant surprise
0: all right here's what the back of the vhs box has to say about young frankenstein Mel Brooks's monstrously crazy tribute to Mary W. Shelley's classic pokes hilarious fun at just about every Frankenstein movie ever made. Summoned by a will to his late grandfather's castle in Transylvania, young Dr. Frankenstein soon learns the scientist's step-by-step manual explaining how to bring a corpse to life. Assisted by the hunchback Igor and the curvaceous Inga, he creates a monster who only wants to be loved. Cloris Leachman, Madeline Kahn, Kenneth Mars, and Gene Hackman co-star in this inspired vision of lunacy. And that's that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty short for a back of the box, I gotta tell you. I mean, I guess. I mean, I think they could have sold it a little bit better.
0: You know, the box I'm looking at feels like it was a later release that might have come out at the tail end of, you know, 99 or something like that. So it probably wasn't the original, but...
1: Yeah, it was just like already had its reputation, right? So the back of the box didn't have a ton of work to do to sell it.
0: Exactly, you know what this is. You've seen it, just buy it. That's what it should say on the back.
1: (laughs) That would be the best back of the box. (laughs) Come on,
0: you don't need a back, just buy it. Uh, Garrett, you're absolutely right though. Finding this movie was a super pain in the ass. I don't know why it's not for sale anywhere digitally. I actually had to, uh, when I Googled where I could find it, I was told it was available on Hulu, So I resubscribed to Hulu, only when I went to find it, it told me that I had to subscribe to stars. So not only did I subscribe to Hulu, now I have a star subscription inside my Hulu and I don't need inception services. Can we please keep them separate? I don't need to be going all over the place for my weird stuff.
2: We got subscriptions inside subscriptions inside subscriptions, son. It's
0: one of those rights things, right? Everything else just gets tied up weirdly like that sometimes. Um, just very strange to see it was such a classic Mel Brooks film.
1: Yeah, that is very surprising. We're
2: seeing that all over the place now, and I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to wave my fist in the air and be like, "Back in my day," because it was just as difficult to find shit back then. Because I'm still looking for a print of Near Dark that you, you know, that you can't find that movie anywhere. So it's not necessarily easier than it was, but I really am not thrilled about this whole like this service has the rights to this film and this service has the rights to this film because like there, you should at least be able to purchase it at any of the major retailers. And then if you want to stream it, then you have to have a subscription or wherever, because there's so many like great shows that Netflix has bought up that were supposed to come out normally that I now can't own because Netflix bought them and they hide them behind their fucking vault doors. And same thing with like, you know, stars and all this stuff. It's like, dude, this is ridiculous, but anyway, that's my rant moment, but yes, this movie is fucking difficult to find.
1: I agree with you, Garrett. I also hate all this lockup stuff. I feel like the pendulum is, well, what the media companies want is us to subscribe to all this shit, or what they think's gonna happen is everyone's gonna buy it on physical media, but it's almost, I feel like, gonna be back to, you know, not that I condone this but back to pirating because no one's going to subscribe to 15 different subscription services it's just not going to happen
2: no it's just going to be the same thing that everyone's already predicted years ago is that all these streaming services are going to bundle themselves up under one streaming service and we're going to have cable packets all over again you know <laughs> get hulu and get stars in this and, this and this and this and this and it's like that's great but in the meantime as everyone's trying to get a sweet piece of that that netflix and hbo you know pie, you know, it's just, oh, it definitely makes it a little more difficult. And the fact that the internet is not honest, because when I looked, it said it was streamable at Hulu, Amazon Prime, and Vudu. So I went to all those. No. And then when I went to Hulu and Amazon, it was like, get stars, And I was like, stars, you can eat a dick at this point. <laughs> <laughs> stars does have a
1: good deal for six months for some cheap amount of money, so.
2: They do, but it was more about the principle, the fact that it said I could get all this stuff, and then it was all like, once I was there, it's the old bait and switch, you know what I'm saying? I
1: got you. hate with the switcheroo. I get yeah. it. It
2: was supposed to
0: be easier. It was supposed to be easier in the digital age, but we're still getting roadblocked. And yeah, Garrett, we're either going to have massive cable digital packages or people are going to pirate it. I think you're both right. It's just ridiculous, Um, especially it feels like we're coming up on the tail end of physical media. Like I I don't foresee Blu-ray lasting another 10 years. You know, I feel like at some point they're just going to stop making them. And then we're just going to be stuck with these rights issues with all the digital entanglement that's
2: happening. And on top of that, let's talk about how now you guys know me. I'm not a Disney hater. I think Disney does a lot of good stuff, like you know, why, you know, like a lot of good uh, media stuff. But they also are a fucking evil corporation. I will admit that the fact that they're going back and re-editing their movies to to make them not have like quote unquote offensive things. I'm not talking about like the racist shit from like Dumbo and stuff, but like in Lilo and Stitch, where they put uh, Stitch or they put um, the the kid in the dryer you know, to hide her for a second. They've changed that. Now it's like a fucking like little cabinet. So basically they're not putting someone in the dryer, which I understand the reasoning, but I'm just like, yo, it's out. Don't touch it. Like leave it alone. Preserve it as it is. I mean, we don't have to celebrate it, but I don't know. I, uh, But man, it pisses me off that they're fucking going back and like editing things after the fact.
0: Yeah, they need to stop that. Once you make it and sell it, that's the version that everybody should be Uh, You know, E.T. taking out the guns and putting in walkie-talkies in the FBI guy's hands. Like, come on. That's stupid.
2: Look, Han shot first. End of story.
0: (laughs) For real. (laughs) All right. Well, let's talk about this film. John, you're right. This movie could be almost perceived as a direct sequel to one of the Frankenstein movies because Mel Brooks managed to capture the black and white music, the ambiance, the uh, decor... Um, even some of the long winded speeches, like whenever young Frankenstein's getting lifted up to, you know, lightning strike his creation, he still gives that monologue stuff, you know, something that was really reminiscent of that era. Uh, I think Garrett touched on it pretty good when we were talking about our Black Lagoon episode, you know, just ramblings of scientists going on and on about stuff.
2: I miss that so much. Yeah,
0: for real, man. It was it, Those are fun. And that really just captures that era of what those movies were like. Um, So to see it done so cleverly with the jokes peppered in, it's just fantastic, man. I can't think of a better, uh, I was trying to actually think of what was, what is like a modern day equivalent to really lavishingly recreate something from a a previous era. You know, is there anything else that you guys can think of?
1: Uh, They made that Psycho remake, which wasn't it like scene for scene, frame for frame, exactly the same, except with modern actors.
2: Yes, they did. And it's actually really good. <laughs> you want to know something that's crazy about that movie is I spent 45 minutes of that movie. The, the, um, soundtrack was written by Danny Elfman and the opening hook of his theme of his, uh, orchestral theme for the movie is sampled by Busta Rhymes in Gimme Some More. I could not figure out for 40 minutes of that movie, what that sample was from. Cause I knew the song like I could hear it in my head. I just couldn't piece together. So I missed the first half of that movie, driving myself crazy trying to figure out where that song was from. <laughs> On the second watch, it was really good, though.
0: We've all been there. I've, I went down a rabbit hole with like Daft Punk one time trying to figure out where all the samples came from. So I, I feel your pain. Uh, but this <laughs> film kicks, kicks off just like the old ones would do. We get the full credits, you know, just against uh, you know a black and white background. We get to see Frankenstein's castle for about 15 to 30 minutes, right? while all the credits scroll over with some nice violin music.
1: That was a bit much, to be honest, but it was obviously of its time, and that's exactly how movies back then were. But I was like, man, I'm so glad they moved credits to the end of movies. How
2: do you feel about the fact that, like, the... um, I think it's the Screen Actors Guild basically says that, like, if you're, like, a lead, your name has to appear twice. And usually what they'll do is they'll put, like, some of it at the beginning and some of it at the end, but now... They're doing the like the double credits at the end to meet that requirement. Would you prefer that it goes back to the beginning and the end, or would you prefer that it's still just the end and they have double credits?
1: Um, I, I guess I never thought about it. I,
2: keep it at the end, man.
1: But yeah, I'm leaning <laughs> toward that. Okay, Unless you're
0: waiting for like a Marvel Cinematic two for you know mid credits sting, um, I'd rather just keep that stuff at the back end of it. When I'm when I'm sitting down with the popcorn, we're gonna sit through. 85 minutes of commercials Coca-Cola advertisements and all of the movie theater like oh thanks for being here you know garbage that by the time the movie starts I'm ready to get going
2: Well, let me just go ahead and say, if you go to the Alamo Drafthouse, the Superior Cinema Experience, you don't have to deal with those advertisements. You only get fun little things that they put together to entertain you. And then the movie just kicks right in with some trailers. Bam, Alamo Drafthouse, get at us, season pass holder.
0: All right, you're not wrong. (laughs) At least that's more entertaining there. It's more enjoyable, but I'm ready to just get into the film than have to sit through another wall of credits before we uh, get going with the plot.
2: I kind of like when we have, like, the brief credits at the beginning, because I like sometimes seeing who's in a movie. Like, sometimes I'll be like, oh, my God, Michael Shannon's in this movie? That's awesome. You know, like, oh, dude, that's so-and-so from Teen Witch, you know, like...
1: I think the the key was there, was a brief credits in the beginning. Sure, a couple of the key people, who's it directed by, Uh, I'm all right with it. While they're, you know, setting the stage for the movie, but when it's like... Every single person in the movie, a la Young Frankenstein, I think that's a bit much.
0: <laughs> and for someone like John who doesn't recognize faces or names at all, it has got to be just drool-boringly-inducing, right? <laughs> Even if I've seen you, you're new to me. It's
1: very true, yeah. Uh, every actor is new in whatever movie they're in. You guys heard about this Anthony Hopkins guy? Pretty good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's an up-and-comer, I'm sure of it.
1: That's it.
0: <laughs> so after the credits... We close in on a coffin next to a fireplace, reveals to be Dr. Frankenstein, the original Grandfather Frankenstein, and apparently he's just had his casket sitting next to this fireplace since he died, and nobody bothered to find and uh, figure out what to do with his will until, what are we arguing here, like 30 years later? I mean, that, that was a little confusing to me because I feel like the will reading should happen immediately after death,
2: no? Uh,
1: traditionally.
2: That's kind of cold-blooded, man. I mean, let let the body cool a little bit before you start fighting over their stuff, Mark.
0: <laughs> but it's next to a fireplace. It's not going to cool off at all. You're keeping it nice and toasty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, touche, touche. Uh, yeah, that part didn't make a ton of sense, but I just assumed it was uh, that lady who was in love with him was keeping him, you know, uh, nice and toasty.
0: Mm, okay, that's a, that's a good uh, end story story. Uh, potential there, John. I was going to say they really just wanted to do the gag where the the corpse didn't want to let go of the briefcase, which I did laugh at. I do like, you know, physical gags like
2: that. Also, here's a side tangent. If your husband was Dr. Frankenstein, okay, and you knew what he was up to, you knew he could reanimate the dead. Why would you not put in your will a stipulation that they reanimate your body? You've mastered the technology.
0: That's not a bad question. It's probably got to do with morality and law You know, um, going back to that original movie, the townsfolk were very against the black sciences of reanimation. That's the devil's bidding, Garrett. So maybe a judge would not be willing to allow his last will and testament to be bringing him back from
2: the dead. They also said the same thing about cappuccino, but damn it, that shit's amazing. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, Even in this movie, they were not uh, keen on reviving the dead. So I don't think that town was going to have anything to do with that. That's fair.
0: We cut away to the American. Um, was he in New York or something? I don't quite know if it's said or not. But uh, we uh, we see Gene Wilder's character for the first time at a college.
1: Yeah, and he's teaching his uh, uh, biology class about you know automatic nervous system and uh, and how you can't regrow nerves, and does a very fun demonstration that I don't think is how they actually teach this in school. Uh, where they pay, they bring in a volunteer. Uh, Doctor Frankenstein kicks him in the balls and goes, "See, that's your automatic nervous system." Uh, then pinches his like, I don't even know his neck somehow and does it again to the poor guy. And this time he can't react because they broke his nerve or whatever. Uh, funny to watch. I felt really bad for the poor dude.
0: Yeah, it was like they pulled a transient off the streets and were like, "Come in here for a couple bucks." Then then they just knees him in the nuts twice and then wheel him away on a stretcher. They pay him an extra buck. (laughs) It's like,
2: okay. Guys, how do you think we keep the podcast going? This is how I pay to keep the bills paid, okay?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're telling me you take nut shots to keep the lights on?
2: Look, as for our previous episodes, I take nut shots from scientific endeavors to keep the bills paid. I also, uh, I prostitute myself. Look, there's a lot of things that have to be done behind the scenes. You guys, you you don't have to worry about it. You're all talent, so... (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, the deeper we get into this well, we podcast. It, yeah, exactly. We are uh, ever impressed by the levels Garrett are willing to go to to keep us in business. <laughs> so he's presented with the will. Yes. Go ahead, John. Take it
1: away. So while this all this is going on, there's some creepy guy sitting in the back who then gives him the will and is like, hey, you've inherited uh, your family's estate. So for someone who wasn't that into uh, being a Frankenstein, he definitely wants his castle. So off he goes to Europe and there's this funny train gag. And he ends up in Transylvania, of course, uh, where he gets met by uh, the hunchback assistant, Igor. And once he finds out that he likes to pronounce his name Frankenstein. Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. You're putting me on. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein.
0: Do you also say Frodwick? No. Frederick.
2: Well, why isn't it Frodwick Frankenstein? It isn't. It's Frederick Frankenstein.
1: I see. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. But they told me it was Igor. Well they were wrong then, weren't they? Very funny in the... Yeah, the
0: the pronunciation bit is good every single time it's brought up. You know, originally, before he goes to Transylvania, there's a twerp in the front seat that's really needling Dr. Frankenstein about his grandfather's research. And he's just like, my grandfather was a kook. It's Frankenstein, you know, and it's really laying the groundwork for this for the scene when he finally meets Igor for the first time.
2: Yeah. And, uh, just to say that, uh, Igor or Igor is played by, uh, Marty Feldman, who is absolutely a treasure in this movie. He does such an amazing job playing, um, playing Igor. And so much of the stuff that he did was improvised too, like the hunch moving to each side Evidently, he was moving that and no one noticed for days until finally someone was like, are you moving your hunch? And he was like, yes. And they loved it so much. They kept it. They kept the gag going like this dude is fantastic. Like, I honestly think if if Igor, if Marty Feldman is Igor wasn't in this movie, I think it would become across so much more boring during certain scenes.
0: Oh, you're absolutely right. The cast is key to this movie's success. Yeah. Um, Particularly those two, exactly. Marty Feldman and Gene Wilder are just excellent in these roles. Um, To have anybody else in them just wouldn't work as well. Sad to say, I'm actually pretty light on my Marty Feldman films. I haven't seen a lot of the stuff he's been in. Other than this, maybe even, I need to go back and watch some more of his stuff. I think I might have seen Yellowbeard. I think that was that movie with some of the Monty Python guys. But other than that, this may be the only thing I've seen him in.
1: Uh, The only piece of trivia I know about this movie is Igor is responsible for uh, the name of the song Walk This Way. When he's moving Dr. Frankenstein along, he's like, walk this way, walk this way. And apparently uh, that is where Aerosmith got the name for the song from.
2: Oh yeah, not the lyrics though. Yeah, Steven Tyler like was in, like was quote unquote inspired by that that joke and wrote "Walk This Way" the next day in the studio supposedly. Which, if that's true, that's amazing because that song is timeless, and the fact that like such a a quick joke like that. Oh, man. And they wanted to cut that joke originally, too. Like Mel Brooks didn't like it, but because it played so well with the audiences, um, he actually brought it back in other movies like History of the World um, and Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yeah,
0: I was going to say that joke felt classic Mel Brooks. That's interesting to hear that he didn't want to keep it in.
2: Yeah, I don't think it was originally. I don't think it was originally in or if it was originally in like he just didn't he didn't he wanted to cut it. And it was like. It tested so well, like it's just so weird how these things happen in like comedies and movies, you know, like what you may think is not funny, may just like appeal to people in a way that you had no idea. But this movie and and I know we mentioned this before, but I think that's what makes because the first Frankenstein movie, while very good, is a very slow drag. I mean, it is very slow. Um, I feel like this movie would also be an incredibly slow drag if you didn't have those constant little Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder and Marty Feldman and even, um, you know, What's-Her-Face. God, I I fucking forget her name. Madeline Kahn. Like, if you didn't have all these little, like, little, like, bam, bam, bam comedy bits, this movie would flow so fucking slow. But it just it's just a testament to how great these comedians are, that they can take an hour and 40 minutes and make it feel, like, honestly, like... A tight ninety.
0: Absolutely, and and one of those gags on their way to the castle. You know that uh, that uh, Igor is driving to the castle. He hops in and meets Inga for the first time. Um, while they're driving over to the castle, they hear a wolf off in the in the distance, and then Inga says, "Werewolf!" And then he's like, "Really?" And then Igor Igor says, there wolf, <laughs> their castle." And I just <laughs> I forgot that joke was in here, and just started laughing my ass off. I was like. That is good. It's simple, but effective, and I love it.
2: <laughs> there is something truly great about that that subtle, almost dry, quick wit comedy that I don't want to say is lost because there's so many things doing it nowadays, but when they, when they really tapped into it, like, I mean, even before then, you know, like the Buster Keaton shit and things like that, I mean, like, it was, it was there, but Man, it's I I don't know. That's still my favorite type of comedy. Yeah,
0: I don't even know exactly what to call that. I'm not big into my comedy terms or, or college, you know, uh, book learning stuff on on theater and in movies or anything, but I'm sure there's a term for that particular style of comedy.
2: So the movie, if I remember correctly, at this point kind of continues to play out like the normal Frankenstein movie. Like they show up at the castle, they're they're getting shown around. There's a bunch of like great little jokes here and there. Um and then is this where he finds the laboratory?
0: Correct. So we were introduced to Frau Blucher, which is played by Cloris Leachman. And if you guys were curious, she is still alive. She's almost 100 years old, but she's still with us. Impressive. Which I was glad to wow. see. Anytime her name is mentioned, Frau Blucher, the horse's whinny. Now, do you guys get that gag or is it just because what is what exactly is the, is the punchline of the horse's whinnying? every single time someone says her name.
1: I assumed it was just a general joke of how that happened in movies, you know, where the horses would react to bad people. But uh, I really didn't get the joke and I didn't find it funny because I didn't get it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if it's like it's a deeper inside joke, but I I definitely love the fact that that was one of those like comedy bits that the more it happens, the funnier it gets.
0: Yeah, I think that was kind of what it was going for too also but that uh like john i didn't quite understand if there was a deeper meaning to it uh perhaps not though but she does a really good job as the caretaker of this castle she's been there since the death of dr frankenstein and we find out that actually she was a lover with him um and this whole thing has really been hatched by her to get young frankenstein into the castle and working on the grandfather's research So you'll find out that there's the violins playing as they all go to their their chambers for the night. And they're all led down into um, the library where they find a secret passageway that leads them deeper into the laboratory. And we see all of Dr. Frankenstein's, the original. That's going to get so confusing. I'm going to be saying, Dr. The Original Young Grandfather. (laughs) I'll just say his grandfather's (laughs) research. (laughs) We find his grandfather's research down there, and it's, it's opened up, and, and this is where he really starts to realize that his grandfather's work could actually be replicated. So from this point on, he's starting to buy into his legacy.
1: Yeah, he goes from, like, I want nothing to do with it. It's impossible. He's a kook. This is crazy to, like, totally bought in, or uh, zero to 100, as they would say, so quick, just, like, instantly. Uh, which I thought was like funny.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And to go any slower with this may have drugged the movie out. You know what I mean? I think we just had to get from yeah. point A to point B. We let's we need to get the monster being built, right? We need to get the gags going um, before we just kind of start to lose steam. It's
1: totally the right call. I, I agree with yeah. that.
0: So we get some more good visual gags. Like when they get into his laboratory, there's like a, a shelf of... Heads, right? They go from two year dead to six months dead. And then the last little cabinet is just actually Igor standing back there and he starts doing a little song and dance number. I oh! ain't
2: got nobody and nobody cares for me. <laughs> Igor!
0: That's just, it's so hilarious. Like Garrett said, Marty Fellman is just so fucking funny in this movie. Anytime he's on screen, I'm like almost in tears laughing.
1: Yeah, he does a great job. And he's like, oh, yeah, I came down through the dumbwaiter. It's like, oh, man, your way was way better because uh, Frankenstein and uh, and his lab assistant who he met as well, uh, whose name I, is escaping me. Uh, what's this lady's name? Inga. Inga, yes. Uh, and Inga have a real great classic gag with the spinning bookshelf as a secret uh, way to get to the lab. Uh, super funny gag. And yeah, then Igor is just like, yeah, I just came down to Dumbwaiter. I was like, man, that seems way easier.
0: Uh, yeah, and they also so there was a joke along the lines of like, how did you know how to come down here? And he's like, uh, a hunch. I, I
2: love that. That one, I remember as a kid, that one had me like crying laughing. <laughs> the first time I heard that joke, I was like, that's it. That's the funniest joke in this movie. I was wrong. But at the time, I thought that was the funniest joke in the movie. But... Yeah, no, they they definitely kind of turn the, the the pace up to like you know like an eight or a nine at this point. Basically, just get him to fall into to line of like following his uh, grandfather's research. And at this point, he you know we we kind of fall into standard you know Frankenstein format of he needs a brain and he sends uh, Igor out to to get a brain and. This is the one where he gets the the Abby normal one, right?
1: Yes. So he goes, uh, he gets the brain. He breaks into the, the lab with the brains, right? And there's one there that's who Dr. Frankenstein wants. It says, like, genius and visionary. Uh, so he grabs it. Then he sees himself in the mirror. He gets scared drops the brain, uh, goes back and he picks up one that's labeled abnormal, uh, which is really funny. Cause right next to the abnormal one is another brain. That's like, uh, this is like saint, absolute saint. Uh, but of course he picks the abnormal one and that's the one that ends up getting into Frankenstein. Um, which I did not realize is a direct lift from the original 1931 movie. Uh, almost exactly the same, except you know, the joke is he gets scared in the mirror, but in the 30s one, he gets scared by almost being caught, but yeah, drops a normal brain, grabs abnormal, and that's where Frankenstein comes from.
2: Yeah, because to be fair, like, Igor in all these movies is is trying his best, you know? He's kind of like the most sympathetic character in all of this.
0: These, the the Igor, the clan of Igors, right? This is This is a family business that we're led to believe in all these movies that there's always... The, the Jones, Igor Jones. I don't know. Is Igor <laughs> a last name? Is it a surname? Is that a first name? I don't know.
1: It's like Madonna. There's just one name. It's Igor.
0: And it passed down to child after child. They all have hunches and they're all like, you know, minions of evil scientists. Well, what were they doing between Grandpa Frankenstein and young Frankenstein? What did Marty Feldman's character do with himself for 30 years?
1: In the original film, the guy's name's not Igor. It's, uh something else but it's not igor fritz fritz there it is in the original 1931 movie igor is actually fritz
2: that's right okay that's
0: right gotcha
1: all short names though one syllable or less uh as much as possible no last name so that's you know part of the role though Uh, When you get hired by a Frankenstein, they just drop your last name. (laughs) Mark, honestly, I'm going to say that the family,
2: that uh, that Igor was probably just transcribing notes that he had gotten behind on, you know, like he had some downtime. He could finally get caught up on all the things, you know, doing when uh, Dr. Frankenstein was in business. Okay. Oh, that's true. A lot of paperwork. There's a lot of paperwork with, you know, reanimating corpses. I don't know if you guys know this, but we do that behind the scenes here at the Grave Talk to pay the bills. (laughs) Um, I have also been dabbling in corpse reanimation. It's not going well. It's definitely not one of our strongest sources of income, but, you know, every penny counts. So, uh, you know... Yeah. The paperwork, though. Oh, boy, you wouldn't even believe. Binder's full. We're accepting interns right now, if you're interested. We have a lot of Grave Talk paperwork. (laughs) We're not going to discriminate here. If you have any kind of writing capability, hit us up.
0: Make sure you have normal brains, please.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Brains, in fact, outright optional. Don't even need a brain.
0: (laughs) Okay. As long as we got plenty of irons and multiple fires here, I think we're going to be keeping the lights on for a little bit longer. Uh, now now I'm just kind of curious, like when was the first instance of the Igor character? I don't know. Do you guys know?
1: Uh, I watched a YouTube video that I did not fact check, but they claim it was this movie where the name Igor came from and why it was so popularized.
0: Seriously, really? Okay.
2: That's possible. I'm going to go ahead and say, even though the timelines don't match up, it was my man Bobby Boris Pickett, uh, from the Monster Mash fame. He, he, he's the one he's responsible for it all. Frankenstein, Dracula, mashing, partying, um, you know, you name it. Love it. That man, he created it all. Yep. Sounds right to me.
0: Okay. I'll let you have that one. Although it says <laughs> here, the three stooges uh, in 1946, the three stooges, there was a mad scientist who had a gorilla named Igor, but uh, you know, maybe the first instance of a human Igor, we'll give it to old Bobby Boris Pickett.
2: Horbel Brooks. Honestly, we're <laughs> wasting time on the wrong subjects here. Let's get back to this movie. <laughs>
0: Okay, fair enough. Where are we at now? Is this where we're introduced to our local authority figure mm-hmm. with the busted arm and uh, our our constable Bobby
1: Kent, right? Wasn't it Kent? Inspector Kemp. Yep, Kemp. Yep.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. What did you guys think of this character?
1: Uh, kind of pointless, but apparently, uh, was from one of the other Frankenstein movies where they eat. That's where they got the wooden arm gag from. Uh, that was an actual plot point in one of the later Frankenstein movies. Didn't know that cause I've never seen it, just read it, but I, you know, whatever. I guess he had a role to play in the movie, but I didn't, he wasn't a standout character to me.
2: Yeah, according to Gene Wilder, um, you know, the trivia and stuff that I was reading, um, he considers this the fifth Frankenstein movie. He considers all the other Frankenstein movies to have happened before this movie takes place.
1: Interesting. That would
0: make sense then. Um, Not watching those recently, I had forgotten then that that was an actual character that they were parodying. Um, So kind of like John, I think he was a little more pointless or, or maybe not pointless, but overused. Yeah. If that makes sense. It's like so many gags with him in his hand. I was like, okay, I get it. It's it's kind of funny, but uh, we can we can move along now, please. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. So uh, with the brain, they now need a body, so they go and uh, grave dig as one does when you need a body. Uh, hence the paperwork. They grave dig one up, and they're bringing it back to the castle, and that's where they're stopped by Inspector Kemp. Uh, and then there's this great scene where the body that they've just stolen, his hand is out of casket. And so Gene Wilder has to pretend it's his hand while interacting with Inspector Kemp and Igor is the one actually controlling it. Very well done physical comedy. I I did appreciate that part, even if the scene was a little pointless.
2: I I definitely think that scene was to basically have that gag in play. I I really enjoy that scene, though. I I can see what you're saying. Uh, Inspector Kent definitely felt a little overutilized in the grand scheme. Again, this movie is an hour and 40 minutes long. And I think with every Mel Brooks, we can always find at least 10 minutes we could shave off and not have it really affect the picture. But you know, is it necessary again? Probably not. But I think this is one of those scenes where, you know, we could have done without it, but I don't know. I, I kind of felt it it, and I added a nice little levity to the moment.
1: Yeah. For the comedy, it was worth it. I'm glad it was in there because I did laugh during it. Uh, it's so hard to talk about a parody film, right? Because you can't really talk about it in the way of a normal film, because it didn't really advance the plot at all. But I'm glad it was there because it was hilarious. <laughs>
0: yeah, there's um, there's also the ongoing bit with the the inspector that his Transylvanian Austrian German accent is so thick that people can't understand it. That's also very Mel Brooksian, I would say, where you know everybody's like, "What." And then he has to repeat himself, and it's actually more clear. Um, so they definitely do that gag several times throughout the film. Yeah, I
1: think that's like in all of his movies, that same gag, different characters, but same joke is definitely a mainstay.
0: So after the uh, town, the town finds out that there's a Frankenstein in town again, and they're very upset about it. So Inspector Kent goes out to the castle, and he's like, okay, look, the people are scared right now. They're worried that you're going to be doing some reanimation of dead bodies, and they're, they're playing a game of darts. And both of them are not very good at darts or, you know, maybe I think it's because the inspector is actually distracting Gene Wilder's character. So he's throwing them all over the place, shattering windows. Uh, and that scene ends with him leaving and all his tires have been punctured out by darts.
1: While they're playing darts, of course, the inspector came when they're doing the fancy uh, Frankenstein experiment. Uh, and this whole thing is pretty much exactly like they did it in the Original movie, right? They have the body strapped down. They lift it up on this raising platform in a thunderstormy night. Uh, they flip a bunch of switches uh, and sparks fly everywhere. Uh, they bring him down, but Frankenstein does not wake up.
0: Yeah. And one of the re- reoccurring things that Gene Wilder's character does in this film, which I think is really good, is that he starts on a long tangent. Be of good
1: cheer. If science teaches us anything, it teaches us to accept our failures as well as our successes, with quiet, dignity, and grace. Son of a bitch bastard, I'll get you for this! What did you do to me? What did you do to stop me? It, stop it! Stop it.
2: quiet dignity and grace
0: oh, mama! and then he immediately starts cussing and crying and asking for his mama and i'm just like dude that is so fucking funny and he does it again later when he's in the cell with the monster he's like whatever you do whatever you hear me say do not open that door goes inside and immediately was like get me out of here, you idiots, <laughs> and starts screaming for his mama again. Like, I love that shit so much. He
1: does, Gene Wilder does a freak out like no other. His That's like one of his acting strengths for sure. And yeah, it definitely plays so well in this movie.
0: The um, monster does eventually wake up and he starts moaning while Inspector Kent's there. So Frankenstein's got to pretend it's him moaning. As he leaves, they run down and realize, oh, look, it was a success. I guess it was just a delayed result. Um, The lightning strike didn't take immediately, but here he is is awake. Frankenstein starts having another long-winded monologue, and I really got to hand it to Peter Boyle. He plays the monster so well, and even times of like this where the scene is over the top, Gene Wilder's acting over the top. They pan and show Peter Boyle's monster face where he's like side-eyeing like, is this guy okay? Like, you know, you can see the monster's like, all right, dude we get it you, you did something cool let's move on
1: and this is where i think right the monster attacks them and they uh have to play this game of charades essentially right so they gave uh, so dr frankenstein thought ahead and was like all right let's get a sedative in case this guy uh we can't control the monster gives it to igor uh un, you know he does his whole speech or whatever and then the monster finally attacks dr frankenstein and starts choking him uh, and Dr. Frankenstein's trying to charades his way into telling them that they need, that he want him to use the sedative on the monster. Uh, another just great bit of physical comedy.
0: Right. And this is when we, uh, get Dr. Frankenstein asking Igor about, okay, dude, what brain did you use? Did you get Harry Lyle and or whatever the guy's name was on the jar? And he's like, uh, no, I got, uh, Abby, Abby, someone. <laughs> abby normal and then he starts choking igor out because he's realized what he's done and then he starts doing the charade bit and uh, yeah, talking about comedy movies is, is kind of a challenge right because we're sitting here we're trying not to ruin it and we're definitely not giving the um the timing or, or the joke justice it's so it's
1: very challenging to like convey it because like if you have to explain a joke it's not funny right so like it's so hard to walk that line of like, I promise you, this is very, very funny. You just have to actually watch it. Uh, we, I at least, am not doing a good job of imparting how humorous this whole thing is.
0: It's that whole feeling of, ah, you had to be there, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: This is the part where, you know, they they try to subdue them. They find out that the violin music kind of like, you know, sues the monster. You know, classic. I'm, I always have a soft spot for that. But yeah, so the monster escapes, and then we get a lot of the classic homages to the original Frankenstein, where, you know, he meets the little girl. Um, that whole scene is just fantastic. Like, that's almost shot for shot from the original, but I love how that plays out. And then there's the blind, uh, blind peasant, where Gene Hackman plays. That scene right there, evidently, like, Hackman, like, improvised quite a few lines in that, And they had to keep stopping because they could not stop laughing. Um, There's there's information that says that the Gene Wilder during his scenes laughs so much that like they would have to do 15 takes of stuff just because like him and other people start laughing so hard. The take would be ruined. Um, But yeah, no, um, the Gene Hackman scene where he's the blind peasant. Um, they cut a lot of that out too, evidently. Like that scene was supposed to be a lot longer. And
1: that scene, uh, the blind uh, friar scene is also a direct parody of a later Frankenstein movie. Uh, God, that whole character is lifted from one of the other Frankenstein films. Oh, is
2: it? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. I, again, that scene's so great. Um, but yeah, then we get to the, uh, the part where we kind of get the villagers, you know, your standard, you know, get your pitchforks and your torches mob. They're going to like, you know catch the monster and kill it. And I think that's, and again, it's been a while because again, I watched young Einstein. See about this time in young Einstein, um, Albert Einstein would have figured out that they can actually make a nuclear bomb. (laughs) We'll talk about that movie in a different, different time. Is that where they
0: blow up the toilet, Uh, the outhouse or something?
2: Different movie. (laughs) That that part's, that part's way earlier, man. That part's way earlier. Okay. Um, (laughs) Oh God, young Einstein. Um, anyway, so yes, they, the villagers go to get the, the monster, um, Frankenstein stops them. And I think that's where they're like, wait a minute. We know how to like soothe the beast. And if I'm wrong about this, correct me. But at this point, this is the point where they realize the monster has talent. And we cut to probably the most iconic thing that most people remember from this movie is the putting on the Ritz number. Am I correct on this or am I totally like way off at this point?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, the goal wasn't like so much to show that it had talent. The goal, I mean, what's the goal of a random musical in the middle of a horror movie? But uh, the they were showing that, oh, I, he's actually reanimated and he has fine muscular control uh, and things like that. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you're pretty close. But, uh, but what a scene that putting on the Ritz scene was. <laughs> yeah that was a uh,
2: that was great they basically like yeah they do putting on the ritz and if you're not familiar with the song mark cue the section
1: trying mighty hard to look like gary cooper Uber, Uber!
2: and then peter boyle like and i was reading this also like evidently they had no idea how they were going to make the monster um like respond to this or like how they're going to show that the monster knew what to do. And evidently, Peter Boyle just improvised the put on the right like thing really loud. Like that was all his like last minute improv of the scene. Has there ever been a Mel Brooks movie where he doesn't have like a weird musical number in it?
0: Spaceballs had the little alien doing the hello, my baby bit.
2: Yeah. And I mean, what about Robin Hood? Robin Hood had that. They had the rap scene where all the the merry men rap together in unison and do the dance, um, which, oh God, I forgot about that garbage i'm just not a big fan of robin hood men in tights that's me personally but yeah so they do the whole putting on the ritz number
0: while they're performing that dance number one of the lights short out on stage and freaks out peter boyle's monster he's immediately um, captured by the police while he's freaking out and he's taken in and chained in uh, one of the cells in town then i think is this is where the fiance shows up right from america after Inga and uh Frankenstein started to have a bit of a love affair, then uh, yeah, this is this is exactly the point of the film where I started to lose interest.
1: Yeah, and I agree. After the putting on the root scene, I feel like the movie could have just faded out, but um that's not what happened. So in the very beginning of the movie we don't really talk about it but we meet frankenstein's fiancee elizabeth who doesn't want him to kiss her or hug her or anything and it's obviously that she is not into this relationship at all we get that little bit scene in the beginning and then we don't hear about her until uh the very end of the movie where she randomly shows up and frankenstein escapes and captures elizabeth and uh They bang, for lack of a better term, uh, and she falls in love with him. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you just say
2: bang, for lack of a better term? Yes. John, knock boots. (laughs) Fuck. Do it. I can keep going. What other term could he use? Make love. Make whoopee. I can keep going. How many more do you want, John?
1: None of those really capture, though, the essence, like, bang.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> this is actually slightly problematic though, right? Um, the monster more or less forces himself on our uh, fiance Elizabeth here. she's she's definitely protesting. but as soon as she gets a piece of that giant monster dick, and I say that because they mentioned it in the movie. He's going to be really well endowed. Multiple times. She starts singing like an opera singer.
2: I remember not fully like understanding that as like a younger kid and be like, I don't get the joke here. And it wasn't until like, later on, I was like, oh, gotcha.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then the next time we see the characters, she's got her giant... Beehive hair looking like the Bride of Frankenstein with the gray going down the sides But then the monster gets lured away back to the castle via violin up on the castle They've got megaphones set up and Frankenstein Frankenstein Young guy Gene Wilder all the names I could think of he's up there playing the um, The violin to lure the monster back home Um, Now in, in this this is this is literally like the last 15 minutes of the film but we're introduced with a brand new plot point where Frankenstein is going to copy his mannerisms and and intellect into the monster, or was he literally trying to put his brain, his consciousness into his creation? I was kind of confused on that point.
1: Yeah, I thought they were going to switch entire consciousness. Like the goal was to switch bodies, but maybe the goal was just to yeah, give him some of the intellect to chill him out. That is correct. The second one is correct. They were basically
2: trying to give him a little bit of something to basically make him like fully functional so that he wasn't just like a brain dead monster. But yeah, like it wasn't supposed to be a full swap. It was supposed to be a we'll give him a little a little of the juice and he'll be fine, you know.
0: Gotcha. Okay, that makes more sense because I was like, why would he want to be in that Frankenstein body, if you will?
2: Well, I believe Madeline Kahn explained exactly why he'd want to be in that Frankenstein body a little while ago. Am I wrong? <laughs> yeah, that's
1: exactly why he wants it, uh, as is the it's pretty much the final joke in the movie.
0: Yeah, he wanted to stop driving around a giant pickup truck. He 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 didn't want to have to compensate any longer. <laughs> <laughs> um, it unfortunately doesn't go quite to plan as our, our uh, townsfolk pitchforks and torches in hand storm the castle they come in and interrupt the process and we think we have a now comatose Dr. Frankenstein Peter Boyle's monster wakes up speaking very elegantly using words that are just taking the townsfolk by surprise and he's like listen I'm a giant monster on the outside all I ever wanted to do was be loved and not feared I just want to be like you I am like you And the townsfolk in uh, particular, Inspector Kent is like, "That's all you had to say, Bucko." Or I'm, um, I'm um, obviously he doesn't say Bucko, but like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying.
1: Nope, that's exactly word for word. <laughs> that's as written in the script, yep. Bucko.
0: Bucko. <laughs> um, so they're like, "Yeah, cool, man. Well, let me be the first to welcome you to our town," and and everybody kind of has a happy ending. Turns out, Frankenstein is not actually comatose he appears to be okay frankenstein marries inga and the monster marries elizabeth and they're in their bedroom night frankenstein and inga and she starts humming the violin song which triggers some of the more monster animalistic side of him and then she apparently has a wild night on her honeymoon because she starts doing the opera bit yeah and that's where the movie ends, if I'm not mistaken.
2: That's it. And the moral of the movie is, is give it to you ladies. Good boys. <laughs> <laughs> there is a correction, though, I have to make. Earlier in the movie, I was saying that Inga was played by Madeline Kahn. It's not. That's actually Terry Gar. Madeline Kahn is Elizabeth, the uh, fiance that comes back at the end. Sorry, just for all the people out there, I know were are sitting there for the whole last hour being like, this son of a bitch is so wrong. So I just want to clarify, make sure it was right.
1: Can't even get your cons right.
2: <laughs>
0: Please delete your angry tweets and emails. Garrett has corrected himself. <laughs> well, obviously it sounds like three recommendations across the board. And if you haven't seen this one yet, what are you doing? It's one of the classics. It's considered one of the top twenty-five classic comedies of all time, um, for good reason. Mm-hmm. It it could ar- arguably one of the Mel Brooks' best, if not his funniest. It's definitely probably one of his more cohesive movies. Um, you know, this one would, like John was saying, would fit very well inside the Frankenstein pantheon without the jokes right you could see this movie play out in a more serious tone and it, it could totally fit right in with those old movies
2: yeah definitely Agreed. before we before we close this out though i do want to say you know like this is definitely a comedy um you know we are a horror podcast but you know as we discussed in previous episodes you know like you know what is horror versus you know a horror comedy et cetera. Et cetera i still firmly hold true that this is just a comedy movie that happens to use a horror like plotline to to play it out but i think it's okay to like to deviate on this one because i feel like if you're a horror fan because it's so familiar you're gonna like fall right into this if you enjoy comedies that even though it's not a horror movie just the the horror elements the familiarity to a uh, a story trope or a a plot line that we're so familiar with can just make you fall right in and feel the same things you kind of did during the original horror one the horror version and the comedy just works really well, kind of like a, like an icing on the cake.
1: I know we debated this on a previous podcast, but I, I disagree. This is a horror comedy. As much as Shaun of the Dead or, uh, you know, any of the other ones are uh, horror comedies, this is right in line with that. It is parodying a different kind of horror, but it definitely, you know, Tucker, like a la Tucker and Dale too, right? It's, de- it's, it's definitely that kind of horror comedy.
2: But Tucker and Dale had, like, gore and, like, very horror-like kills and stuff. I mean, this movie, I know, like, the original Frankenstein didn't have, like, gory kills in it, but it also wasn't chock full of jokes start to finish you know t to b top to bottom
1: sure tucker and dale is parroting horror as we know it now this is parroting horror as it was in 1971 right it's just very different it's parroting us i guess if you're saying these aren't horror movies then none of the universal horror movies would count right this is as horrific as any of those uh you know is frankenstein i guess a horror movie then
2: uh, no, I just consider that to be a, I mean, it's definitely a horror movie in the fact that it kind of started the whole horror genre. And I'm not saying you have to have gore and vice, but the thing is, it's a very serious, scary story. I mean, the idea of reanimating a corpse at the time, I'm sure was a very like, oh my God, that's a really frightening concept, you know, to people nowadays. And even in 1971, is that when this movie came out? 74. 74. I, I don't think that this was ever like I think this was supposed to be a comedy from the start to finish. And again, this is definitely like a perception issue, but I just think it misses so many of the things that like make something a horror. I mean, you can have like a romantic comedy and you can actually just have a comedy that like plays off a of romantic comedy. It doesn't mean it's a romantic comedy. But
1: we all agree that this movie would fit in with a classic Frankenstein story. So it's parroting a story that is a horror story is why i think this is a horror comedy horror horror comedy maybe it's flipping it around right it's a comedy horror instead of a horror comedy and
2: i'll I'll go with that i mean again i don't want to break too much balls on this because again you know it's definitely you know a fine line between love and hate
0: i think what you guys need to do is you just need to take the car into the monster lane and get out of the horror lane because it's the classic universal monster movies, right? Horror, you know, if you try to look at it through the lens of 2020, even 1980, 1977 horror films, then you could say, no, Frankenstein, Wolfman, you know, all those aren't actual horror movies, but they are monster movies. And I think if you remove all the jokes from this one, like we said, this one could totally be a sequel to the original. So I think it's a a comedy monster movie (laughs) is what I think we need to call this.
2: Yes, agreed. That's fair. Okay. You know what, John, can we agree on that? Can we East and West Coast rap battle this shit to to agree? Mm (laughs) Okay. you know, thanks, Mark, bringing people together. That's, that's what you do best, man.
0: (laughs) Anytime. I'm happy to help. You know, we, we do horror movies. We also do monster movies. That's kind of why I was totally okay with approving this one. Not that I have final say or any kind of control over what we do. This is a a democratic system, the grave talk, but uh, yeah, I think we've, we've allowed monsters. We allowed Godzillas. We've done all kinds of stuff. This one, it, it, it totally falls in line with what we talk about. I think.
2: I think it'd be interesting to find out if our audience would like to know like, who picked what movie. Like, I don't know if that's something anyone would ever be interested in, but if you are, hit us up on the social media. Maybe we can make a list of like the movies that we have recommended, each of our choices and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Maybe going forward, I think it'd be hard to do retroactively. I barely remember what movies I picked. We'll get our intern to do it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what did you guys think of young... I almost said young Einstein. Young Frankenstein. Let us know on our Twitter... Our social media, Facebook, hit us up. We always love to hear from you guys. Let us know what you think about it and anything else you want us to talk about. We're always down for suggestions. You can find more of our content at GraveTalk.com. And we'll see you next week.